Hello and welcome back to the Stadio podcast on Ringer FC. I'm Risa Kwonga. I'm Ryan Hunt. Ryan, how are you doing? Doing all right, man. Thanks. How are you? You're in a polka dot season. I've got a polka dot t-shirt on. Good times, good times. Yeah, I'm all, uh, I'm stripey today. Feeling good. You are stripey. Stripes and spots over here. Absolutely, absolutely. It's weird for this podcast, dressing for the kind of, it's too cold to wear a t-shirt, but it's too warm to wear a hoodie. So this is the compromise. Oh, the struggle is real. Halfway house is real. Listen, these these are the real problems, the very real problems, legitimate concerns of the studio podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Before we get into the actual podcast, we need to do some admin. We need to do loads of admin, actually. So bear with me. For those of you listening on the studio feed, remember you only get the first section of the podcast to listen to the thing in full. You need to subscribe to the Ring RFC Spotify feed. The link will be in the description. Second of all, for those of you new to Stadio, during lockdown, we did a thing called the Stadio Sessions, which was a Friday night music session live streamed where we would play music and interludes of football commentary. We did just a random one first and we did an 80s special, which was just 80s music and commentary of like 80s commentary. We did a Brazil one, we did an Africa one, we did a guitar music one. We haven't done one for two months, but we're doing one this Friday. So it's 8 p.m till 10 p.m. Berlin time, which is 2 till 4 Eastern time. So I'm sure people can figure that out. We live stream it on mixlr.com forward slash Stadio. And you can also go to the show reel there and they'll have all the past episodes. If you go to the Stadio Twitter at Stadio, we posted the info and a link to the old ones. So come and join us for that. The only other bit of admin that we need to do is that there's some people doing refurb stuff on Moose's building. But they're four, they're like four stories above you, right? They're four floors. I thought they were outside because it sounds so close. I look up, <laughs> I nearly get like <laughs> a ton of plaster in my eye because yeah, they're, they're, wait, they're four floors up. They couldn't even hear me if I shouted to them. So if you do hear the occasional bit of banging in the background, apologies. If you do hear banging in the background, let's improvise here, Ryan. It's actually like the Berlin industrial noise scene. On location. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Can I say this before I get, you're probably going to cut this out, but. When I was in Rio for the World Cup, we were doing a documentary, a radio documentary. And anyone, any listeners of ours in Rio will know it's an absolute nightmare making audio there because there's nothing silent for more than five or 10 minutes. That's such a humble brag. <laughs> Speaking of audio, did I ever tell you that time that I had to go to Rio for the World Cup and we were doing an audio documentary and it's so difficult? Because there's so much noise. Oh my God. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. It sounds like you had a terrible time. Have you not been to Rio, Ryan? Can you stop? <laughs> you know this answer. <laughs> Trolling in plain sight. We've got a lot of football to get through today, but the way that we thought we'd do it is via a mailbag. Yep. So we kind of let people shape the shame the narrative (laughs) power to the people oh my god that's because that always works (laughs) we trust you all we trust you all and yeah everyone came in with some brilliant questions but before we do start quickly the mls is back that is literally the name of the tournament which is quite possibly the worst name for a tournament i've ever heard since the milk cup (laughs) in england Actually, that was a great. That the milk cup was an amazing. The milk cup was an amazing name. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the Carabao Cup is 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 tough. So that's the League Cup, obviously in England. What was it? Some old sponsors of that Coca Cola Cup. That was good when it was the Coca Cola Cup. My favorite ever name for an English cup tournament was the Zenith Data Systems. 
Do you remember that? The Zenith Data Systems <laughs> Trophy or Cup. Now that sounds like a Berlin industrial band. It does. That, that's actually an incredible name. Zenith Data yeah, Systems. It's incredible. We have this, uh, this kind of art house industrial collective called the Zenith Data Systems. That's so cool. <laughs> so yeah, the MLS is back. It was the first game, well, this morning for us. I think it kicked off at 2am. Florida Derby in Florida. Mm. What a way to start it. Orlando beat into Miami 2-1 after being 1-0 down. And there was a nasty moment in this game where Dom Dwyer caught Andres Reyes in the throat with an elbow, with like a straight elbow. Reyes had to go off. It looked really bad. He couldn't breathe properly and he looked in quite a lot of distress. The weird thing about this was that it took forever to get proper medical people on the pitch. Now, this tournament, I think, probably shouldn't even be going ahead personally. Mm. It's been a bit of a mess in terms of its execution and playing it in Florida. It's a little bit different to a nine-team, well, eight-team NWSL Challenge Cup returning in Utah because it's a far more controlled environment. Right. But having, what, 20-odd teams. Yeah, 25-team tournament because obviously Dallas dropped out because of the amount of positive tests. I'd be interested to see how it plays out. There are things like the general public can book hotels in places that are right next to the bubble. The concern is, you know what we're seeing, to be honest, Ryan, we're seeing the profit motive run up against public health in a way, like this pandemic has obviously shown us many things, Mm. but one thing it's really shown is how cynically the profit motive is put up against public health. And I, I don't mean like, I don't mean like, situations where clubs have to play to survive. Like I get Mm. that. I'm not trying to be naive or I get that, but there are some cases where you feel like, especially when you've got like, like new franchises playing, like Mm. some, some of these franchises, you know, they're new. Some of these teams are new. So you wonder like if a team hasn't even started economic outlay yet, doesn't need to be out there. And I hate to be cynical, but I just don't feel like the health of the players and the public is the primary concern here in a lot of mm. these cases. So yeah, we can, we can get back into that, but I think it's worth flagging up. People in the States were looking to the Bundesliga or Europe as an example. However, it's key to point out that like Europe was ahead of the States in terms of progress. Yeah. And also the conditions are massively different. Like when the Bundesliga came back, you and I did an episode about it. We were really on the fence, weren't we? Yeah, And I actually wrote a piece for The Ringer about this called The Bundesliga's Back in Body but Not in Spirit because a major part of what makes the Bundesliga so special is the fans and they weren't there. The conditions for the Bundesliga's return were hugely different to major sports in the US. I mean, I think Florida has had more cases as a state alone than Germany has as an entire country. And it's continuing to have far higher daily cases. You know, I mean, for comparison in Germany now, the last few days have been 219 daily cases, 397 and 390. So those are the numbers in the last three days. Nationwide. Nationwide, um, that's unbelievable. And the amount of total deaths in Germany have only just crept over 9,000. They're 9,115. Even with those numbers, we were really on the fence about its return. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because you're bringing this, and this is because people are traveling and stuff like this. Now, the bubble scenario is obviously different. You can try and control things. However, the amount of personnel involved in a 25-team tournament, we still were questioning whether the NWSL Challenge Cup should have gone ahead. And we were swaying to the side of, yeah, maybe, because you're dealing with an 
what ended up being an eight-team tournament. I really wonder whether the MLS here have missed a trick by playing it in Florida, especially in the middle of the summer. I just don't really can understand. I, can, I, can I be harsh here? Can I be cynical? Mm. With other sports not playing, this is a real opportunity to grab market share. Oh yeah, well that's exactly and what that's, it is. That's, yeah. and, and so it's just this thing of like, looking at other viewing figures for other sports, looking at other countries with completely different healthcare contexts who have, in quotes, taken the leap and just thinking, my God, like someone's run the numbers and thought, my God, if we get out there right now, the numbers we've had will overwhelm anything we've had before. And I think that's where we're, that's where we're looking with this. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to labour the point, you know, but I think that that's where I stand on it. Ultimately, there are a load of athletes at the middle of this and you're seeing with this with the NBA, 22 team tournament in Florida, in Disney. Yeah. I mean, we're huge NBA fans and I would love to see the NBA back. However, there are a load of athletes at the centre of this, like risking their own health. Yeah. You know, there have been a number of dropouts, like Carlos Velo is probably the, the most high profile dropout in the MLS. Um, there have been a number of players dropping out in the NBA, and rightly so, like Victor Oladipo dropped out. You know, I'm a Pacers fan. He's our best player. And he's dropped out. And no one can really hate on him for it because it's kind of like, well, I mean, I don't think I'd leave my family to go and play in a tournament that I don't know whether you're going to win it or not it's just it's weird man I mean it, luckily it's not a not a decision that you and I will have to make there's a weird thing there involved in like you know kind of our desperation for sports to come back and actually the fact that all of these athletes are human beings and if we were in that scenario would we be happy with that decision absolutely so, absolutely but let's go to the NWSL challenge trophy since we last spoke Utah Royals lost to OL Reign and Sky Blue FC beat Houston Dash 2-0 Everyone's a catfish in this tournament, Musa. You got <laughs> apart from the courage. No, apart from the courage. Apart from the courage. The courage <laughs> are way out in front on nine points, and then there are one, two, three, four, five teams on four points, and then Portland Thorns on two, and Chicago Red Stars at the bottom on one. Everyone's played three games. Maybe it's just a good tournament. Yeah, that's true. Catfish doesn't necessarily mean a negative. That tournament takes a little bit of a break till the twelfth. Um, but we had a question on this from I hope I pronounced this right, Liam Shemesh on Twitter. So what do you guys think as the hierarchy in women's football? The entire US women's national team plays stateside to get selected anyway, but having watched the WSL in particular over the last couple of seasons, there appear to be teams playing at higher, more technical levels. This is quite interesting because the US women's national team obviously is the best international team in the world, but their contracts state, you know, if they are federation players that they have to play in the, in the NWSL which is quite restrictive. Mm. Um, but obviously I think that's because they're trying to grow that league. I mean, I think obviously Leon are probably, well, Leon are the greatest club side in the world. I don't think that's a massive hot take. Yeah, that's, that, that's, it is what it is. And it was quite interesting. There was a thing that Megan Rapino said not too long ago where she was saying, you know, how the NWSL needs to attract players of this kind of ilk. And she named four players from Leon. So the, the first four players that she names, you know, Jennifer Marajan, Eugenie Lasoma, Wendy Renard, Lucy Bronze, all play for Lyon. Well, now Lucy Bronze is returning to Manchester City after the Champions League, but still. Right. I'm not entirely sure how the hierarchy would be, I'm being honest. You tend to have two or three teams that are quite dominant. The range between the best sides and the bottom sides in the league, I think, is quite big in Europe because there isn't obviously drafts or salary caps or anything like that. What I would say, I think, I feel like I'm always worried in comparisons, but I do feel like it's reductive. I feel like it is really reductive to only recruit from one league for your national team. 
because I think there's things you learn from other countries and other contexts that are useful. I mean, look at Japan, for example. Look how Japan sucker punched the entire yeah. world because people didn't see, anticipate that threat. If you spend your entire time playing against sides that are robust and physical, you can handle a Germany, a Norway, but there was no solution for Japan. I remember them coming through that tournament um, when they won that time in 2011. I remember them coming through and it was so interesting watching them round after round outfox people. And it's funny, we, look, we talk about paradigm shifts in copycat culture and football. The paradigm shift in 2011 was everyone was like doing the big physical thing because that had been effective, especially for teams going outside their national context, going to other continents and winning. Go and impose yourself physically. And Japan went under the radar. And I think they, was it Germany? I think they might have been one of the early rounds. They took the lead and they didn't give the ball away. And no one had a hack for that. And if, you're, if you've got players in multiple national contexts, if you've got them all over the world, then you can anticipate. And one thing we've seen with the World Cup, whether it's the men's game, the women's game, any sort of genre of football, the best teams are the ones that make adjustments. They adapt to threats. They can play big, they can play small, they can play on the counter, they can play possession football. And yeah, I just think, I think the, I hate to quote Bain again, but the danger with the US national women's team is victory can defeat you. We've seen victory defeat. We saw it happen to France actually in the, in the World Cup. You, know, you could argue mm. that Lyon's success at club level maybe made the French national side lose a touch of sharpness. I did see a touch. Yeah. Does that make, and I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just saying I'm a personal believer that to keep winning at international level, you've got to keep your players all over the world. That's what I would say. I think the next collective bargaining agreement is up in 2021. And I do wonder whether that will change. I think because of the dispute that's going on between the US women's national side and US soccer, I do wonder whether they may be less inclined to have that in the collective bargaining agreement that they have to sign contracts within NWSL. But yeah, we'll see. To be honest, I'd love to see another league emerge as a major threat. I'd love somewhere like Spain to pop out as, a, as one where we saw a better alignment of men and women's teams. I, just because I, I really love it when a different league enters the equation and changes the dynamic. I just think it's really healthy for football as a whole if someone else becomes a powerhouse. So yeah, anyway, that's all I've got to say. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, we've, we mentioned this about Germany, you know, I think Germany, I think the Frauen Bundesliga could really grow over the next few years, especially with, you know, the emergence of FFC becoming Eintracht, Hertha partnering up with Turbina, Wolfsburg strengthening, Bayern strengthening, Hoffenheim progressing this year. Interesting, man. Elsewhere in Europe this week, well, arguably the greatest 35 minutes of football this season. Oh my God, that's a strong shout. AC Milan beating Juventus 4-2 at San Siro. What was going on? <laughs> this, this game was hype. And the good thing was, you could have just scrap the first half because I was watching Arsenal-Leicester, which we all know what happened there. Yep. Poor Eddie. Eddie Nketiah and Ansu Fati doing very similar things this, this week, both getting sent off merely seconds after coming on the field. I can see why Inketias was given. Fat. I can see why both. Yeah, me, t- me too, me too. Yeah, one of those, really unlucky, not deliberate, probably both reds. Yeah, I get it. Retweet and move on. Exactly. <laughs> Control or... <laughs> Just retweet and move on, lads. Exactly. Um, but this game uh, at San Siro was amazing. Juventus surrendering a two-goal lead for the first time since 2013 My in God. the league. 
Adrian Rabiot with his first goal for Juve. And this had big, like, you can see a 14-year-old playing against a load of nine-year-olds in the playground or something like that. Right, right, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> if you watch that goal again, it looks like he's running downhill. It's really fun. It's like watching, um, I mean, I'm a bit old for this, but some mothers do have him. Frank Spencer. There's a scene where- Wow, the main, really? You go in there? Yeah. You go in there. There's a scene where the main character goes down a staircase on roller skates and watching Rabiot run at that speed, he's almost like teetering forward. And it's funny because someone was like, oh yeah, he nutmegs that guy, that guy. And I'm like, yeah, but it's almost like, it's like dodgems. And I mean, the thing is that that's why Rabiot was signed. I know he's had a, a difficult time at Juventus, not the best time, but Juventus's depth is just ridiculous. And it's one of my frustrations with this league, actually, I've got to say, because if Juventus didn't have that much money, Serie A would be one of the most thrilling leagues. And this is the buy-in mm-hmm. thing as well. If Juventus didn't have quite so much money, the fact they can afford to keep a guy like Rabiot on the bench for as long as they have, and they have had to because he hasn't been at his best. But my God, Serie A has got some... I mean, the job that Pioli has done at um, Milan, there's a great, great article by Nicky, Nicky Bandini at The Guardian. Check that out. The job that Pioli has done, they've now beaten Lazio and Juventus Milan in the last two games. It destroyed Lazio 3-0. Mm. Well, on the counter, but still destroyed them 3-0. And this game, just to get back to this, I mean, it had everything. I mean, so Juve come from, well, Juve basically lose. They lose 4-2. Milan come from behind. There's a moment of trash talk between Ibrahimovic oh, yeah. and Ronaldo and, Ronaldo and Cristiano. Yeah, I mean, so before Ibrahimovic's penalty, there's some trash talk where Cristiano says to Chesney, you know him, you know what he does, basically. Ibrahimovic puts it in the corner, turns around and just gives him the eyes. Which it gives him a big, big smile, actually. It was quite funny. The question we had was from Proper Football Man on Twitter, Jack. He said, thoughts on Milan's hot run of form under Pioli coinciding with their announcement of Ralph Rangnick replacing him next season. So they've announced Ralph is taking charge. This has been rumoured for a while. Yeah. Ex-sporting director and manager of RB Leipzig, before that at Hoffenheim. But Pioli signed a two-year contract in October when he arrived. So. Uh, I imagine that's probably till the end of next season, but they're going to have to pay him out. I feel so sorry for him. This is the first time Milan have looked interesting in a long time. They've won four and drawn one of their last five games. It's the way they've been playing. Look, Matteo Bonetti said this really well in ESPN. It's the first time they've looked vaguely interesting in 10 years. Rangnick might bring structure and that's really exciting in terms of recruitment perspective and there's indications he wants to coach. And maybe we're just being... What's the word? Um, maybe we're being starry-eyed because it's nice to see Milan returning to some semblance of themselves. But Nikki put it really well in her piece. She was like, is more instability really what this club needs at this point? Like, just when they seem to be assuming something. Now, having said that, I think that Rangnick's track record at Hoffenheim and Leipzig, I think, should allow him the benefit of the doubt. I just think with someone like him, you have a clear history of someone that takes resources, puts in structures. I mean, look at Hoffenheim, like long after he's gone, look at Leipzig after he's gone. Those bear his hallmark. And I do think this is what Milan needs. I do think they need a big change. When I saw who's being appointed, I was just like, this is really exciting. And here's the thing as well. 
Juventus also kind of beat themselves. Like, I don't want to be, and I don't diminish Milan's victory. I do think, and I have seen this with Juventus a couple of times this season, they've been so far out in front for so long that there's almost a boredom in that play. Does that make sense? Oh, you saw it with Alexandro. Like, this game isn't interesting enough. We're only 3-2 down. I'm just going to smack it across my own 18-yard box straight to whoever. It's just, what? It's like, what are you doing, Alex? It's teams that get tired of, they get tired of winning. They lose a touch of sharpness and Milan have been good enough to exploit those gaps. I hope that place mm. is found for Pioli. I hope there's room for him in a coaching capacity still. But I think the Rangnick thing is, I, got, I can't lie, I'm kind of excited by it. Yeah. It's one of those like shame for Pioli, also kind of exciting. It's like Poch coming in at Southampton. That's how I see it. Yeah, good shout actually. Oh, that's that's a nice comparison. God, remember those heady days <laughs> of what was it, two thousand and thirteen? Oh my god! World, I wish we could go back to two thousand thirteen. Good lord, we could, we could. Before any of this shit, let's take a break. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Don't forget, if you want to check this episode in full and all of the other Stadio episodes in full, go to the Ringer FC Spotify feed. There's a link in the description of your podcast app. Say hi, Musa. How's it going? <laughs> <laughs>